0: Want to sing it note for note don't worry. To be happy. Oh, sorry. Alright, now all day, like that's gonna be stuck in your head, right? Thanks, Southcrest. I can't get the whistling noise, so let's all do it together. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> alright, alright. We'll pray for your talent level. Um, Man, I'm so excited to be here today. I'm more excited than Missy Elliott coming out of retirement for the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I am so excited. And, and, and I know last hour, like we had this big deal about, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl. And so I was informed by one of our members that at the last service, the only people that cheered were the Seahawks fans because their tires were totally full of air pressure and they got here sooner I'm sorry. I had to. I'm sorry. I'm not a hater, okay? I love both teams. I hope both of them win, but the real winner tonight is Doritos. Just got to say that. So, excited about this series. It's going to be awesome. I I just, I told uh, our staff when we began planning this series, I've really felt like God is leading us. Uh, We are in a place in America and in our world where we don't understand happiness. That, that's why some of you, you know, when we came in here today and we're kicking uh, uh, happy faces uh, cry at the first service, I literally kicked one into the lights, man. It was awesome. And uh, people are like, I don't know if I wanna be here at this church. Okay, some of you are new and you're like, this is freaky. No, handling snakes is freaky, okay? We don't do that here. We, we kick smiley faces in the crowd and sing happy Pharrell. It's all good, okay? So look at your neighbor real quick and here's your assignment. On the count of three, I want you to holler out who you think is going to win the Super Bowl. One, two, three. Yeah. All right. Wow. From a former Patriot. <laughs> all right, that's awesome. Well, listen, whoever you think is going to win, uh, and, and that's all good, man. We're, we're, I'm so excited. I love football. In fact, today's a very sad day because after today, we are. It's basically hockey and arena football, right? Some basketball spruced in there a little bit. But um, I'm praying that the combine comes really quickly. You know what I'm saying? Because I need some football in my life. So we're going to talk about the idea of happiness. And what is it over the next four weeks? Because here's what I want to say. God wants us to be happy in our life. Now some of you go, that is so not true. All my life I've been told, I don't need to be happy. I need to be joyful. Okay, well you're going to kind of understand a little bit more about what God wants to teach us about real happiness, because see, in my life, here, here's why I struggle with happiness. I struggle because sometimes I don't know what really makes me happy. Sometimes I struggle in life with happiness because I don't know how to get happy, and worst, I don't know how to stay happy. Anyone struggle with that? Just like an hour ago you were fine and like something weird happened to you and then suddenly you're not happy anymore, right? I mean we live in that roller coaster. Like last night, Tracy and I, we were up in North Atlanta and we were doing some shopping and stuff, and and it was around uh, it was around five thirty-six o'clock, and I realized I hadn't eaten since ten o'clock that morning. And I got hangry. Any of you guys ever been hangry? Hungry and angry at the same time? Okay. I'm in Atlanta traffic. Trying to, trying to blow down the quickest Tex-Mex place in Atlanta going, I need some Tex-Mex, okay? And, and I'm like, I gotta get there. And we got there and I ate and suddenly I wasn't Betty White anymore. I mean, it was awesome. I felt better. I felt a lot better about my life. See, we, we struggle because we don't know what really makes us happy. We don't know how it totally forms in our life. And, and certainly we don't know how to stay happy. And so in this whole series, this is kind of where we're going to begin in talking about real happiness. When it comes to happiness in life, we don't always understand what it is, where it comes from, and how to keep it. And so what we want to do is we want to kind of look at what God tells us about what real happiness looks like in our life. You see, some of you here today, you you fall in two extremes when it comes to happy. The first extreme is this. I don't think we should have happiness in life. I think God is destined for us to be gloom, despair, and agony on everyone else, okay? And we think that's the life that God's called us to. Like your banner verse would be Ecclesiastes 2.2 that says, Laughter is foolish, and what does pleasure accomplish? Right? So you go through your life like, no, no, don't have fun. Kids, get off the playground. You shouldn't be smiling. No, you shouldn't be cracking a joke. And we live our lives kind of like, hey, don't be happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be bad. You know, he wants you to be depressed. I meet people like that. I meet a lot of Christians like that. And I want to go, dude, I don't know what gospel you got, but when I got the good news, it was good. I mean, it was so good. I don't have to live that way. Okay. So that's kind of the Puritan end. And then there's the other end. And here's what you would say. Okay. Your, your verse would be this. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to the full. And so your idea is happiness is, dude, we're going to live it up. And here's your motto. Ready? Life was happy in the garden. Life is going to be really happy when I get to heaven. So my job is to make it, Woo! turn up in between. And that's how you're going to (laughs) live. I love you guys, man. Y'all are so real, okay? So here's the thought. Both of those, do they really bring us happiness? And both of them, although they may have a merit of truth about them, is that really how God wants us to experience happiness? So for the next four weeks, we're going to jump into this and and, and we're going to talk about why we struggle with happiness, but we're going to look at one place in scripture. Now, here's why I think we really struggle with happiness, because we don't understand true happiness, okay? First of all, we think happiness is emotional. It is a feeling that I have right? I feel happy today. If you wake up right, if the sun is just right, if, you know, and and you have this feeling, and if the feeling's not there, if the emotion of happiness is not there, then you think, well, I'm not happy. The second reason we struggle is this, is we think happiness is tangible. It's something that I have. It's something that I possess. In other words, I have a new car, therefore, I am happy, Okay, I went shopping and I am happy. Now, I know some of you women, okay, like you can go to the loft and you can score a deal on a sweater and you can literally walk out of there and you are happy, okay? Like you are so stoked, like you'll tell 40 of your friends, like they're stealing stuff at the loft, okay? I mean, you are just happy because why? You found the sweater or you found these shoes. Men, we don't get that, okay? We don't get that, but it's okay, man. We're just weird, okay? But the truth is we think, we think happiness is tangible, something that I possess. So we think it's a feeling that we have or we think it's something that we possess that is tangible, but the third one is we think happiness is circumstantial. We think it's a circumstance that I have found myself in. It's a situation I am in. I have found the most amazing job, therefore I am happy. I am in a relationship with the person who loves me. Therefore, I am happy. So think about it. Is happiness really just a feeling, something we possess, or is it a situation we find ourselves in? Or is real happiness bigger than that? Because although all three of those are kind of like, okay, I get that. I mean, there's a measure of happiness in all that. But here's what I've learned. A wrong understanding of happiness can actually lead to greater unhappiness in life. So we gotta get it right. Because if we're gonna stay happy, if we're gonna be happy, then we gotta get it right. We can't get it wrong because it will lead to greater unhappiness. You say, well, prove that. Well, there was a guy in the Bible, he was the rich young ruler. He had money, he had power, he had position, he had notoriety, and he found himself going to Jesus saying, What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? See, here's what happens if we're not careful. We will allow these three forms of happiness, emotional, tangible, circumstantial, to actually get in the way of experiencing real happiness in our life. It will actually get in the way of it. And we won't know how to get it or we won't know how to stay happy. And and so we need to have a different perspective. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter five, okay? Matthew five, we're gonna be looking in this one chapter of scripture over the next four weeks, but I want to tell you this. The thought that you're about to hear, the the thing, the message you're, you're about to hear is from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is one thought that Jesus gave. It is one message. In fact, in the scriptures, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so many times what we do in the Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is we find just a small portion, you know, like love your enemies, and, and we find this portion, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, and we don't understand Jesus was literally giving us one massive thought about our life and his kingdom. You see, a lot of people have coined the Sermon on the Mount as the constitution of God's kingdom, It is literally the constitution. It's like, if God could tell us everything he wants us to know about the life that we're living and how to live in the kingdom, he's like, hey, this is it. These chapters, when you look at it, sometimes we don't realize this, it's actually the most comprehensive statement that Jesus made to us about how to live our lives. It's even more than that. It's it's probably the most famous message he ever, ever gave. I mean, more people quote Jesus's words from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5 through 7, than probably any other sermon. But let me tell you the moment it was in Jesus's life. Imagine getting a call from ABC News or CNN or Fox or whatever news station, and they say, hey, listen... We want you to come onto our show and we want to give you 30 minutes to talk about whatever you want in front of the entire world. What would you say? Hey, me and my fishing friends, we've been (laughs) done. You wouldn't do that. Okay, you wouldn't say, hey man, I went to this great restaurant, blah, blah, blah. You know what you would probably do? You would say something that would probably want to be very profound. You would probably want to say something that could literally influence and change people's lives. That was Jesus' moment here because what Jesus was doing in Matthew 5 is he was laying out a blueprint for what I really think is God's kingdom dream for our life. Now, God's kingdom dream is very different than the American dream. American dream's good. I mean, you know, a house, uh, a wife, you know, 2.4 kids, 3.4 dogs, you know, minus three cats, I mean, whatever. You add up into your statistic of your life. I mean, that is the American dream, right? It doesn't get any better than that. It's like baseball, you know, hot dogs, and, and, you know, that's life. We think that's the American dream. Jesus wasn't going to answer to the American dream. He had a blueprint for a kingdom dream that he had for our life. And really what he lays out here in these three passages of Scripture, in these three chapters, is he lays out an internal operating system for our life. Now, every one of you, you got a computer, you got a smartphone, it has an iOS on it. All right? And that iOS pretty much controls everything. And when that iOS is right, that phone can do amazing things. Jesus was kind of saying this right here. He said, I want to give you some thoughts about real happiness so that you can have an iOS even when things are bad even when things are bad. So what does he do? He, he starts out, he gives us eight virtues known as the Beatitudes, and that's what we're gonna focus on the next four weeks. And it literally becomes the hub or the core for everything he talks about after that. So Jesus starts with these eight virtues, these eight things that all have promises attached to them. And then he goes on and says, not only do I want you to see these eight virtues, but then there's these six things I want you to kind of run from and avoid in your life. And then there's these five things Chapter 7 That I want you to embrace about my kingdom. So I encourage you over the next couple of weeks, you ought to just hang out in Matthew 5 through 7, like a great place to read the next couple of mornings in your quiet time, right? Go back and read it. There's some profound things, but remember, Jesus said it all together because he wants us to have this type of life. So here's the picture Jesus walks up, and the Bible tells us that literally it was probably him talking to his 12 disciples. And as he began to talk to them, people began to form around them. And as the Bible tells us, the crowds grew larger and larger. Because this really was his moment of saying, this is what matters most to my kingdom. And this is what matters most to your life. So you got to understand that. Why did he tell us this? Because he wants us to be people who are transformed, not just people who hear this. In fact, a lot of times when people read the Sermon on the Mount or they read the Beatitudes, they treat it it's like a discipline. You know, it's like, it's like when you go to the gym and you try to bench press 350, right? It's like, oh, I've got to work at it. Oh, it's getting harder. It's... Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus said, these things can be true in your life. And when you operate out of these things, these promises will be true. Because here's the thing, every command that God gives us in Scripture has a promise attached to it. God wants us to possess those promises. He wants us to be transformed by those things. And that's why even in Matthew 5, after the Beatitudes, the first thing that Jesus said to his followers is this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know what he was saying to them? Even before you get to the Beatitudes, you know what he was saying? He was saying, I want you to know these things because you are world changers. But here's the challenge. You and I cannot change the world until we first allow Jesus to change our heart. You see, that's the internal operating system that God's gonna work on in the area of happiness in our life. So we're looking here at, uh, at Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. And Jesus even goes on and tells us this. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus even said, hey, listen, don't minimize these things. I mean, there's a lot of people when it comes to their life And the way Jesus wants them to experience life and the happiness that he has for them, we treat it like it's a side note. Like, hey, if nothing else works, pull out the God card, right? You see, that won't bring real happiness to us. And Jesus knew that. He didn't want us to have to pull out the God card. Because he wanted us to live in the blueprint that he has for us here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So, with all that said, turn to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3, because we're going to talk about this one beatitude today, and we're going to focus on it. It's going to be the framework for every other week in this series. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's funny because most of us in our life, how many of you have ever met someone when you ask them about, you know, their life and their happiness, they use a phrase like, well, I'm just blessed. You meet people like that? Yeah, it's like seeing someone on the side of the road and, you know, they've got three blown out tires and you pull over. How are you doing today? I'm just blessed. Is that really blessed? Like three tires on the ground, like rims, you know? That's the, if that's blessed, if that's happy, I don't want none of that, okay? That's not what Jesus meant when he said these words. So Jesus' first word was, he said, blessed, blessed. The word blessed in the original language means happy. It means to be in a divine joy and a perfected happiness. To be complete without need for another. Remember what we said? We struggle with happiness because we don't know how to find it and we don't know how to keep it. So Jesus looked at his followers and he specifically looked at his disciples and he said, here's the blueprint I have for your life. You can be completely happy. Some of you go, I still don't believe that because my grandma's taught me my whole life I should be poor and miserable not according to Jesus' kingdom. He said, you can have divine joy and perfected happiness. What's crazy is when Jesus said these words, all of his disciples and all of those listening were probably very perplexed, and here's why. This word would have only been used to describe someone who was dead and gone or one of the gods that they believed in. So it literally was a moment where when Jesus walked up, he said something. I call, it, I call it a, what you talking about, Willis moment, okay? What you talking about, Willis, okay? That was that moment. Jesus said, happy are you. You are complete. You have divine joy. Like, you, you won't need anything else. You think their ear's perked up? I guarantee you in this life, if you walked into a major mall and you stood on the table and shouted to everyone, I can bring you complete happiness. Few people might gather around. Okay, someone's waiting for you to hand them a $20 bill and the other guy's waiting to arrest you, right? He's the security guy at the mall, Paul Blart, okay? He's there. But you would perk everyone's ears up. Why? Because even in our day and age, people, we struggle with happiness. But Jesus looked at him and he said, hey, blessed Are you? You're completely happy. What does it mean? It it means that we have this inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on circumstances. Wow. You say, can you have that? Yeah, the Bible says you can. Jesus said, this is is the operating system I want to give you. I want to give you something that it does not matter what happens to you in your life. It's bigger than that. Think about how untouchable your life becomes when it's no longer about your circumstances. Think about how differently you view Monday morning or your finances or your family or your relationships when it's no longer about just what happens to you, that there's something deeper than that. That's what Jesus said. He said, you are most happy when, what? He says these words, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. Wow, I have met some really poor-spirited people in my life, and they do not seem very happy. I've met a lot of people, they think poor-spiritedness is a spiritual gift. They're like, I'm just exercising my gift. You know, they walk up to you, and they make it their goal to let you know they were baptized in pickle juice. I was baptized in pickle juice from the skating rink. Okay, I was baptizing that stuff. Hey, the truth is this. Jesus wasn't talking about living a poor spirited life. Here's what Jesus meant when he said those words. To be humble, to have an accurate assessment of ourselves. You see, here's the challenge in all that. This is totally opposite from the world because the world, we live in a world of self-assertion and self what? promotion. Jesus said, I can give you something better than self-assertion and self-promotion because you are gonna be completely happy when you first recognize what is in you and what is not. I love that thought when you think about it. Totally opposite of the world. It means placing and knowing ourselves, accepting ourselves and being ourselves to the glory of God. Some of you go, well, I don't like myself. I'm, I'm 5'11", and I'm overweight, and I'm, you know, I'm not smart enough, and blah, blah, blah. And we, we size ourselves up to all this stuff, and God goes, listen, you're not going to find your true happiness in that. It's not about sizing yourself up. It's about knowing who you are, having an accurate view of who God made. Now, the crazy thing is this. When you get an accurate view of the way God made you, you're going to find happiness, Because you're gonna look at all the other counterfeit parts of the world and you're gonna go, "Hmm, that's just not me. That's not who God created me to be. God didn't create me to be that. But Jesus said, hey, you're gonna be happiest when you place yourself in a place of knowing yourself, accepting ourselves and being ourselves to the glory of God, even when you don't think it's enough. But here's the challenge with that. We love me some me. You remember Terrell Owens? He said, I love me some me. He got on the football. I was like, whoa, what did he just say? He said he loved me some me. Now, the challenge of that is this. We're all the same way. We do it every day. And that's why we struggle with happiness. That's why we struggle to have it in our life. Because left to ourselves, we will always choose ourselves over anyone else. So Jesus said, don't think of it that way. You want real happiness? Happiness happens in life when you have an accurate view of yourself. Not poor spirited, but poor in spirit. And then he says these words. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's the promise, right? There's the virtue and there's the promise. You know, in, in literary, this is known as an inclusio because the very first beatitude and the very last beatitude have the same promise attached. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what this means in literature is this. Everything in between is yours. All the comfort, all the fullness, all the mercy. It is an element of living in the kingdom of God. And he says, when you are poor in spirit, when you have an accurate view of who you are, then you're at a place to encompass all of my kingdom." So think about it this way. True happiness in life comes from knowing our own emptiness. You say, What? Remember what I said? Jesus gave us the internal operating system here. See, I meet people all the time that go, Man, I want to be happy. I want to have this. I want listen, none of that can truly make you happy, but Jesus, here's what he says. When you get to the end of yourself, you begin to embrace your own emptiness, that's probably where you're gonna find your greatest happiness. Now, it gets crazier than that because we don't wanna be happy many times. We wanna be full. It's kinda of like this. If I stand up here and I have a whole arm full of logs and I say, hey, give me more. There's very little capacity for you to lay any more in my arms if it's full of all these logs. But if I let them go, suddenly I have a greater capacity for something what? More. Something more. And that's what Jesus was teaching us. He said our true happiness in life comes from knowing our own emptiness. When we realize how much we truly need God, that's the first step to happiness, Sean, that's that's like too simple. Like, that's so simple it's stupid. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And see, Jesus wasn't making the kingdom of heaven hard for us. What he was saying is, I want you to get this because I want you to be complete. When you embrace your own emptiness, that's when you begin to find true happiness. You say, Well, I don't like being bankrupt. I want to be full of all these things. Listen, Jesus said, you can try all that stuff, but it's just not going to make you happy. So here's the truth he was trying to say. Why is this important? Emptiness of self leaves greater capacity for God in my life. Emptiness of self. Jesus said, when you are poor in spirit, when you have a right assessment of yourself and and you realize, man, I'm just like, I don't have nothing, Jesus says that's when you are going to find your true happiness. Because why? You have a greater capacity for God in your life. Now here's the thing Would you rather be full of you, or would you rather be full of God? Which one do you think pans out better? <laughs> Which one do you think is really gonna make you excited on a Thursday afternoon? I mean, I've had me some me. Me doesn't taste good after a while, right? I mean, it's just not even fun. He says, Sean, I want you to empty yourself of you so that you have a greater capacity for my life. It's kind of like this. How many of you guys have ever decluttered your house? Like you've literally gone through your house and said, I don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. And then you declutter, and then you do the thing that every guy hates. You're going to rearrange furniture. And suddenly you rearrange furniture, and what do you realize? We have more room. Like we don't have to kick the kids to the curb. They can stay for one more year, right? I mean, we don't have to get rid of the four dogs now because suddenly we were cluttered with all this stuff and then we decluttered and and we, we take spaces and what we realize is our hearts are the same way. God says, listen, when you begin to empty yourself, you create a greater capacity for me to come in and fill it with things that you never thought would make you happy. I'm living in that. Tracy and I, we were talking last night, we're kind of in the process of trying to work on all of our taxes and we're looking at what the Lord allowed us to give away last year. I mean, it's more than what we made our first year in ministry. But can I tell you, if I would have kept all that money I wouldn't be as happy. You know why? Because what we gave away came with it a blessing and came with it stories and came with it life change. You can't put a dollar figure on. When we empty ourselves of ourselves, it gives us a greater capacity for God in our life. That's what makes us happy. So the question is this. Are you poor enough to party? That's what Jesus was saying. Are you really poor enough? An accurate assessment of who you are, realizing that you know what—I don't need to run from this emptiness. This emptiness is there because God wants to fill it with who He is, and the blessing that comes from that—it's going to overflow. Are you poor enough to party? Because when you are, you're going to be happy. You know, maybe this is why we, we struggle with real happiness, because we focus so much on the tangible or the emotional side of happiness or the circumstantial. But what Jesus was really saying is, this is a spiritual issue. And it's not a mystical issue, like, you know, just some mystery, like I can't figure it out. Jesus wasn't trying to hide anything behind the curtain. But what he said was so profound that few people ever lock into it. But those who do, dude, they're untouchable. I've met people all my life and I look at them and they weren't the richest people. They weren't the people with the greatest jobs. I mean, listen, you can go to a third world country and meet a believer that doesn't have anything and they are happy. And you can look at us with all of our smartphones and our iPods and, and, they, and we're like, uh, why am I not happy? because they've realized it's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about what Jesus wants to give them. It's about having a greater capacity to let God fill the empty spaces of our life. So it's crazy. Are we poor enough to party? When we get to that place, Jesus says, we're gonna be blessed. You know, I thought about this. What does the world think of that? What does the world think of a person that begins to live in this blueprint of this iOS? What does it look like? I think, first of all, the world is perplexed by it. I mean, they meet somebody and and they're beginning to live in this right assessment of who they are and they begin to walk in the blueprint that God has for their life. And the world looks at them and they say this, how could that person go through that and still be happy? I mean, some of you have gone through cancer and you're like, Sean, I'm happy. Some of you have gone through marriage issues. You're like, man, our marriage is messy. But Jesus has healed your marriage and you know what? You're happy. Some of you have gone through relational stuff. Some of you have gone through parenting issues where you're like, man, my kid may not live till they're 17. But in the midst of all that, you have found this. And you realize what Jesus said when I am my emptiest, Jesus is able to fill me. Why? Because I have a greater capacity for Him. I think they're perplexed. But I think they're more than that. I think the world, when they see us this way, they're thirsty. They're thirsty. Matthew 5, 16 says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, I want you to understand these, these virtues that I want to see in your life because you are the salt of the earth. Like literally we go around and we make people go, man, I want some more of that. Mm." Listen, I don't know that the world is yet to see a lot of believers. So operate in this iOS that the world goes around and go, I'm thirsty. I want more. Maybe the reason why they've kicked us out of schools is because we're not thirsty. Maybe maybe the reason why our world looks at us and says we're crazy is because we've never embraced our poverty. But I think when the world sees us, they're going to say, man, how can I come to know a God that will bring that much happiness to a person's life? Would you bow your heads with me today? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Every person around this room, I believe every one of you are at one of two places. You're at a place of complete thirst. And here's the thirst that you have. Okay. The thirst that you have is this, you know, that Jesus came to do something amazing in your life. Now you may have clouded that with dead religion or what someone put on you years ago about, you know, this is what it means if you totally sell out to Jesus and, you know, you're going to be poor and live in a shack and, you know, drive a, a beat up Pinto or, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you've been told your whole life, but I will tell you this. I don't know where you came from, but here's what I do know. The thirst that you have is the same thirst I had. And it was when I realized that Jesus came to quench that thirst by dying on the cross that I found real life. And so you may be here today and you've never trusted Christ. You've never given him your life. And and you're like, Sean, I would love to, to embrace my emptiness. Listen, you can't embrace your complete emptiness until you know what fills you up. Jesus is the one that can fill you up. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you right here, right now, to ask him to come into your life to begin a relationship with him today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, would you pray this with me? Just say, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me on the cross. I receive Christ into my life as Lord and as Savior. And I turn from all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life and give me the happiness that comes from salvation. I give you my life, Jesus, and I place all my faith and all my trust in you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I just want to ask you today did you make that decision today? Can you say that today was the very first time that you completely surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? as Lord and a savior, the boss of your life. If today was that day for you, would you just hold up your hand? I just want to know that. I just want to know that today you made that decision. You know, I've prayed all week long. This this week, we've seen people come to Christ all week long in our church. We had five switch students, Friday night at mystery night, give their life to Jesus. I mean, it's awesome to see what God's doing in our church. But I want to know that today. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, there's another group I want to talk to, and it's those of you that are struggling with this idea of happiness. Because you keep thinking, I got to have this, I got to be this, I got to feel this. And Jesus said, No. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God says when we embrace our emptiness, it gives us a greater capacity for him in our life and we will be happy. If you're here today and you say, Sean, I'm really struggling with that. I'm a Christ follower. I know Jesus. But man, I need to turn my thinking around and I need to quit running from my poverty, running from my brokenness, running from my emptiness. And I need to embrace it because there's a God who loves me who wants to feel it. If that's you today, would you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you. All over this room. Some of you are struggling that way. You're struggling that way emotionally. You're like, man, I can't get over all these emotional humps. Listen, God wants to to move you past your emotion. God wants to move you past your things. He wants to move you past your circumstances. But I would love to pray for you today. Would you hold up your hand? Just hold it up. All over this room. Sean, I'm holding up my hand because I want you to pray for me that I will embrace my emptiness and let God fill me with his fullness if that's you today, hold up your hand. Lord, I pray in Jesus name for every one of these hands that are raised today. Lord, there are people in this room broken. There are people in this room hurting. There are people in this room searching. And Lord, I just believe Jesus that you came to set us free. Lord, we sang that earlier. Jesus, only Jesus sets us free. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that they will not see this as a spiritual discipline exercise. Some goal that I can't ever change. Jesus, this is the life that you've called us to. This is the operating system. Lord, I pray that we will bring all of our emptiness to you and say, Jesus, because I'm empty, I now have the capacity to let you fill me. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do over the next four weeks as we go through these attitudes. And I thank you just as it promises in verse 19, Lord, when we embrace and when we teach these principles, we will be considered great in your kingdom. Lord, we love you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.